feel that way, do we, Pastor? Ever. Our staff never feels that way, ever. You guys are totally exception. And I'm excited tonight, and I'm, I'm really honored to introduce our guest speaker all the way from Oviedo, Florida, Sanford, Florida. And uh, I, I do want to brag on Pastor Eugene just for a second before we stand to our feet and honor the man of God that, that is in leadership over this house. I'm, I am... Um, Deep, you know, my wife and I, we even talked about it on the way over here. We're just in gratitude to uh, Pastor and to, uh, and to Pastor Laura. And I've introduced them so many times, and it's always still so very easy for me to introduce you. One thing I really want to focus on uh, is just his character and um, uh, just his in- the integrity that both of these uh, two individuals and even their children uh, live by is just unparalleled to me. And, and, you know, I get to have the privilege to know them very up close. Uh, and, and I tell you, they're completely the real deal uh, in front of you as they are behind you. There's nothing different. There's absolutely not one shade of anything, anything different. And that's why I'm still here. And not that I would go anywhere, but man, I, I, the, these pastors are, are unbelievable. And I'm thankful not just to call them pastors, but I'm also thankful to call them spiritual mentors to us. And they've been so good to Natalie and I. We're just so in, in gratitude to them. And over, over 10 years ago, they started this church. And uh, look at where it's come and the seed that's been planted and where it's going to go. And as we were even thinking about this conference, I don't know about you, but there is not one better person I would rather have open up our revival than our very own lead pastor. And I told I told uh, Natalie, I said, I'm really excited to hear Pastor Eugene, not on Sunday morning, straight up, just going to rip it tonight and give us everything he's got. And he doesn't have to save his voice for nothing. And it is going to be awesome. And, and I'm just so honored. So would you join with me? Would you stand to your feet? Would you welcome our pastor, Eugene Smith? Can we give our king a great big hand clap tonight? Come on. Let's give our king a great big hand clap. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I got to tell you tonight, I am so honored that you are here. Uh, you can be seated. I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed that you would come on a Super Bowl night to set in a church service. I mean, when I was a kid, man, my pastor, we did church services on Super Bowl night, but nobody wanted to go. <laughs> nobody wanted to be there. There may be a few kids that didn't want to be here tonight. Your mama drug you. But let me tell you tonight, almost everyone here tonight, you're here because you want to be in his presence. You want, a re- you want a real, real Jesus. You want a real encounter in your life. And that's so honoring to me that you would come on Super Bowl Sunday. This is the high holy day of all sport days. And I love Super Bowl. I mean, I've watched every Super Bowl as far back as I can remember. And we knew that we were taking a risk doing it tonight. But sometimes in order for you to receive what God has in your life, you have to be willing to take a risk. So you have to be willing to do what you've never done before to get what you've never got before. And to take a 21-day fast, a 21-day, for some people it's a diet. And I mean, a lot of people have had some really dramatic, like, just changes <coughs> in their physical bodies. I know in my own body, I mean, I've, I've really, it's, it's hard. I, I did exactly the opposite. I went home and I had vegetable soup and salad for lunch today. I know you can't believe that, but 
I'm like, I don't know. I'm feeling really good, man. I'm maybe a few years older than you, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know how to get off of this. I just kind of want to slide gradually off of this into whatever God has for me. But I love you so much. I love this church. I love this city. I love what God is doing in our midst. I love all the young people that love to worship. I I love to see people walk through the door for the very first time, and they're just shocked. They're like, wow, wow, this is amazing to see a group of people, to see the unity and the love and the agreement, to see people from every background of life, every socioeconomic group, every race. I love the diversity, even on the worship team tonight, because it's a reflection of who we are as a church family and church body. And You have to know that that's not normative. You have to know what God's doing here is special. This is a special work of God. This is a special work of the Holy Spirit. And what God has begun, He's going to do even more because we're at the beginning. We're at the forefront. I believe, like Pastor Glenn said in 2013, we don't want, I definitely don't want 2012 back. <laughs> I want God to do a new thing. Everyone say a new thing. I want a fresh awakening in my life. Fresh reality of the presence of Jesus. I, I need something fresh. I need that fresh bread. We were in France many years ago when we first got married. We were in France. And I, I remember being in France and going by this bakery and smelling that fresh bread. They do fresh bread. They don't put preservatives on their food. It was fresh. Something about fresh bread. That fresh, tangible reality of Jesus. That Kind of that first love experience. I want to talk to you tonight about the Great Awakening. I want to talk to you tonight about the changing of mindsets and understanding of who you are and what God desires for you and what God desires for me what God desires for a community and for a city. Because see, awakening is never personal. An encounter, an encounter with Jesus is never just personal. It always impacts us. It changes us. But that enables us to do what He's called us to do. It's a, it, that, that encounter with Christ is so that we can be changed. Our hearts can be changed so that we can fulfill the mission and the purpose which God has created you and I. My first encounter with Jesus was a little boy. My very first encounter with Jesus was a little child. And I remember that encounter very clearly. I, I still can remember exactly where it was at. I could take you to the building. The building still exists. It's a lot different. That was a, a long time ago. Everyone say a long time ago. It was a long time ago, but I was a little child. And and I remember it was a Sunday night service, kind of like tonight. It's kind of like tonight. And it was a small church building. And my pastor, the pastor back then, his name was Virgil Jones. He was a fiery preacher. He was a, he was a tall, skinny guy, just kind of like Pastor Glenn. He was about six foot four, and he was skinny as a rail. And he would stand on top of the chairs. That's where I learned how to stand off the chairs. He would stand on top of the chairs, and he would just preach. And, I mean, he would... And Shandai, man, he would just go for it. There was a revival in that church, and there was a move of God, and that church building was packed. I mean, it was packed out. Sunday night services, packed out. Miracles. I didn't even know what was happening, but one night I, I felt something. I heard something inside my heart, and there was an invitation given to receive Christ. Something awakened in my heart. Everyone say, awakened. Something awakened in my heart, and I realized that God was calling me. And I somehow made my way. There was an altar. There was an altar they had in the front. They used to do altars in the front, but there was a choir loft. And I went up into that choir loft, and I was six years of, of age. And, and up in that choir loft, I just began to repent of my sin and ask God to forgive me. And something happened. I don't know what happened, but something happened. It was a wham. It was a bam. It was a shazam. It was a bang. 
God came. I mean, it was just wham. I had this encounter. All I remember, I was flat on my. I was a six-year-old, flat on my back, and I wasn't throwing a temper tantrum. I was throwing a Holy Ghost tantrum. <laughs> And I was a shundai, and I was speaking in another languages that I didn't know, and I was bawling and snotting and crying, and all the old ladies in the church are standing around, Yay! and have my dad standing there, everybody, everybody's around, and this little six-year-old kid is having a touch from God. It was my very first encounter, my very first awakening with God. I remember that it was so clear, and it was a, an awakening that marked me. It was an awakening that marked me because no matter how far I went, no matter how far I ran, no matter what drug I did, no matter what activity I was involved in, no matter how deep I went into sin, I could never escape that encounter, that awakening that I had with God. I could never leave it. I mean, I just could never kind of put it completely out of my mind. I knew that it was real. Over the years, I had lots of encounters and lots of different times that I met God in personal ways and powerful ways. you know, I've shared some of my story, but I haven't sh- shared all my story. And I'm not going to share all my story tonight. But I think it's pertinent to kicking off this awakening, to kicking off this night that we are dedicating to God. and saying, God, uh, we just want you. We don't know what that means completely. We don't know where this is going to take us. We don't know what this completely looks like, but we just want you. We set aside four days of the church family to, to say, Lord, we want you to do something different in you and us. And over the years, you know, I'd have different encounters. I'd go to church, and, you know, and 8, 10, and 11, 12, go to camps and encounter with God. And camps were always, listen, if you're a parent here tonight, you have a child or a grandchild or a grandparent, you got to get your kids to camp this summer. you got to get your kids, because it was at camp that, man, God just blasted me. I, I had some encounters with God at camp, some things that radically shaped my life, that just shaped me, it shaped my understanding of the Spirit. You see, we are spirit people. Everyone say, we're spirit people. We're people of the Spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. We're a spirit people. We're a people of the Spirit. We listen to the voice of the Spirit. We don't always get it right, but God is always speaking. And the goal of our lives is to be able to hear Him better, to hear His voice more clear, to be able to separate His voice from all the other messages and all the other voices that we hear in our world. At the age of 11, at the age of 12, I started really struggling. I had a lot of challenges in my life, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. and Like a lot of people, we all have stuff. And a lot of pain came to my life, relationship with my father, my dad. My dad had a terrible turn. For the worst, he, he walked away from God when I was about six, seven years of age. Literally walked away from God, far from God. And that sent me into a tailspin. And I couldn't understand how this guy who one time loved God was so far from God. And, and it destroyed my, par- my parents' marriage. It destroyed our family. And, and the things that I heard and the abuse that I experienced and the things that I had to live through caused my heart to become hard towards God. Very hard. And at the age of 12, I remember I had a Peter moment where I walked away from God. I just walked away. Just said, you know, I was actually I was actually in a school classroom. It was a science class. And there's some kids talking. And, they, you know, I mean, people talk about God and stuff. But some girl looked at me and she said, aren't you one of those Christians? And the moment she said that, man, it was like, I just started cursing. I had a Peter moment. I literally denied God. And from that moment... For the next nine years of my life, I lived far from God. Next nine years. I had a few moments, you know, maybe where I'd try to, where I'd get in trouble. I had what I called, I had a guilt. I, I would feel guilty for getting caught. <laughs> 
I had a worldly sorrow. I'd do something bad, and I knew there was a bad punishment coming. So, you know, I'd go, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. You know, trying to, try to escape the consequences of my bad decisions. But at the age of 21, God really began to deal with me. When I got saved, when I really had, you know, we call it good saved here. Everyone say good saved. When I got good saved, I had another radical like when I had when I was six. And it changed me. It marked me. It, it, it did something in me that I, even to this day, I'm amazed how God came. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was God pursuing me, you see, because God never left me. God never left me. He never forsook me. I forsook him. Paul said, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. God never left me. His grace pursued me. He hunted me down. And I finally yielded. I yielded that, to that conviction of God. I surrendered to that conviction. And I had an awakening. Everyone say an awakening. An awakening with God that marked me and changed me. And I was never the same man after that. It was then, at that moment, that I knew that God had. I didn't know what He had for me, but I knew that He had called me. I didn't know what it meant to be called. I just knew that there was a passion in my heart to share Jesus with people. And so everywhere I went, I just shared my faith and talked about Jesus and shared my faith. And I was called a fanatic and a religious nut. And all the things that you experience when you're young and you don't have any wisdom, you just always gossip in the gospel. You're always telling people about Christ. And 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 I, I realized that I really, really love people. See, because before that, I didn't really love people. I didn't love people at all. I loved myself. And, you know, I, I love people that are close to me. But I really had a love for people. And I wanted to share the message of Christ. I began to read. I had a very difficult time as a young man. I, I, you know, I, could, I was a pretty good student, maybe up until, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old. But, man, when things fell apart in my family, things fell apart in my education. It just, things weren't working. And, I could I learned how to read, and so I could read. But I hadn't read a book. I mean, I literally, I hadn't read a book probably in six years. And and uh, you know, me, I had to read a book in high school. But I I, I hadn't read a book. I had, I couldn't read a book. I couldn't sit down long enough to finish a book. And God, when God saved me, God put this appetite to learn. It was just an appetite to learn and to study. And, and I don't know where it came from, man, but I just started reading. I read everything I could read. I read books. I read everything. I, and it was before the days of the Internet, so there was no Internet to surf, man. But I was just reading. I was reading about finances. I was reading about politics. I was reading about Christianity. I was reading about the church and history. I was reading about, I don't even know why, but I was reading all this stuff. And, and as I began to read, there's this hunger that grew in my heart. And I began to read and, and, and study about great moves of God, times that God had moved in days past where where things just it just ruined people and it just it wouldn't just ruin one person it wouldn't ruin just one church but it would ruin a whole city i mean whole cities were ruined for the for the good you know what i mean where god would just come and it's unexplainable it's supernatural it's beyond the natural it's beyond the normative it's not beyond just going to church and we had a great experience but there was something that happened that really marked that group of people it Mark that generation. And I begin to read about these encounters that these men would have. And it would always start with a man. Almost always. Sometimes it would start with women. There were times that it started with women. There were a group of women that were praying in, 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 the, in these islands. And they were praying for God to move. And God raised up this man by the name of Duncan Campbell. 
And Duncan Campbell came and he had a message of, of change for that generation, for the people at island. And it just literally transformed that island. And it started with a couple of women. But most of this time, it, it started with men who were hungry for God. They were desperate. I wouldn't say desperate. They were desperate for Jesus. They, they weren't satisfied with the status quo. They weren't satisfied with dealing with the same problems and the same challenges and the same addictions and the same. So they wanted more because when they read this book, when they read the story of Jesus, they realized that Jesus radically changed people's lives. Jesus radically changed. And people that encountered Jesus, they were never the same. People that really encountered Jesus, they were marked. And they wanted that. They wanted that for their generation. They wanted that for their generation. My wife and I met at Bible College, Portland Bible College, in 1986. And we got married, and we, we met, and, you know, man, those feelings were so overwhelming. And you guys, if you've been, you know, you've gotten engaged, or you've been married, you just know, man, it's like you're on a, this emotional high. Just our relationship took off. And, and we got married on August 28, 1987. And... It was just the pinnacle of my life. It was just amazing. I couldn't believe I got married to the woman of my dreams, the most beautiful woman in the world. I couldn't believe this woman. She was smart. She was the smartest girl in our school. She was a four-point. This is before they had the weighted grades, you know. <laughs> she was 4.0 in high school. She was. She went to three different universities, and, and every university that she went to, she got 4.0s, and she was valedictorian. She did all that kind of stuff, and she was smart. She knew about politics. She knew about history. She loved the church, and more than that, she loved Jesus, and she really knew her Bible. I mean, she knows the Word. She knew the Word, and I was just blown away. I couldn't believe it. I'd never met a girl. I'd, I've been waiting for a girl like you. Every once in a while, the other night, the other day, actually it was the other night, she was in the living room, and I was in my bedroom, and I'm on my iPad, and I sent her that song by Journey. I've been waiting for a girl like you. Come on. Come on. I've been waiting. We got married. And uh, right after our honeymoon, we moved uh, We moved from Portland to Tucson. And we were there for one year. But the first couple of days that we got married, my wife decided she's going to make me breakfast. And uh, she came and she served me this breakfast. And I just looked at her and said, you know, I really don't like breakfast that well. She goes, oh, really? Well, that was the last time she made me breakfast. It was the last time, 25 years later, but guess what? The Daniel fast, she started making me oatmeal every morning. So come on, awakening is happening in the Smith house. Revival is taking place. 25 years, no breakfast, but I'm getting oatmeal now. Yeah, don't don't get too bored. Hang on. I'm just, you know, sometimes before I can tell his story, I got to tell my story. You got to just know kind of my background and how this has happened and how this church happened and why you're even here. Why you're even here. You don't even know why you're here. Think, oh, it's somebody invited. Yeah, but how this whole thing. I'm just kind of give you real quick here and then we're going to jump into the word because we're not just people of the, of the spirit. We're also people of truth. Everyone say truth. We're people of the word. So we got married and. And uh, we moved back to the Northwest. We actually moved to Seattle, Washington, where I went to school. And I finished my schooling in Seattle at Northwest. It was Northwest College then. And I, and I, while I was in college, I, I, I met a young man who had also seemingly had a great passion for God. He did have a great passion for God. 
and he had a passion to see people saved, and he wanted to start a church. And, and my wife and I became friends with he and his wife, and we became very good friends, and we spent the next several years working and building a local church in Seattle. It was in the inner city. It was on the corner of Martin Luther King and Cherry. It was an old, small, little house. We actually had we've got some pictures that I've shown before here. The, this old house. It was a three-story house. It had the dungiest, nastiest basement. I mean, it's really wet in the Northwest. It rains all the time, and, it, and it's just basements there are musty and just nasty. And this was an old house. It was built around the turn of the century, and uh, we started this church in this in this house. And 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 our very first couple of weeks here, we decided we decided to start a kids program called Saturday Safari. And I had no desire to be Saturday Safari, but I remember I said, "Okay, well I'll help you guys the very first Saturday." And after the very first Saturday, I became Mr. Saturday Safari. That's how my life changed. My life literally changed just like that. I mean, literally, my life completely changed. And we would we would go and pick up. We started off picking up kids in the, our, our vehicles. I had a little Pontiac, and he had a pickup truck. And some of the other workers, this one little girl, she had a little red to, uh, two-door Toyota Celica. I still remember it. And she would just load that thing with kids. And we'd send all the workers out, and we'd pick kids up. And we'd drag them back to this building and take them down. I can't even believe we did this down to this nasty basement. And then we would have game. It was completely out of control. We had no idea what we were doing. But kids just come because kids like to be where there's a party. And there's free donuts. <laughs> so we had free donuts. We'd give the kids. But God began to lead us. And we got wisdom and how to grow this program. And we began to grow this church. And this church began to grow very fast. And people started getting saved. And, and it was an outreach church, man. We were picking up kids on buses. We were running two buses on Sunday morning. And I would jump in the, I would jump in the bus. And I would drive downtown Seattle. And I'd run through the homeless shelters. And I'd pick up the homeless people. And I'd drive them back. So we had this little auditorium that seated about 80 people. And it was about half full of kids. It was about... 30 or 40 homeless people and a few college kids that had come over from Northwest and then a few people from the community and that's how we got started and it was there that I realized that I needed something more it was there that I realized that good preaching, good singing, even though it wasn't that good, because our drummer at that time was a crack addict. And I remember one day he came into the church and he was playing the drums and he fell off the drums because he was still high on crack because he'd been playing. He'd been out in the streets all Saturday night. He made his way into there Sunday morning. So it wasn't that good. But I realized, hey, man, when you, you just use anybody that show up, you know. And he said he could play the drums, so we put him on the drums. I realized that I needed something more. I needed. I realized that there had to be more. There had to be more God. You know, these, it was so desperate. The, the problems were so great, and and we look at you know the here it is twenty some years later, and it's no different. The problems are so great, and like I spoke about this morning, the troubles and problems, the vast armies they seem to be, are so big in our life. Really, we have no earthly solution. And as I had been studying, I've been reading about church history. I had realized. That there were seasons and times where God would come in powerful ways and literally just shake. Shake not just individuals, but begin to shake communities and shake communities for His glory. It doesn't happen often, 
It doesn't happen very often throughout history. As a matter of fact, it happens very seldom where it actually impacts the community. Sometimes it'll impact the local church, maybe impact you know a few other churches where it really starts to make an impact. And part of the challenge we have today is it takes it takes some time to look back and to see what actually took place. The people that were living during the day of Martin Luther didn't realize that there was a great Reformation. They had no idea what they were starting in the 1500s. They had no idea they were starting a a protest against religion and religiosity that would shape and change the rest of Christian history. They had no idea. They had no idea that was going to take place. In the 1700s, there was a man by the name of John Wesley, and and Wesley had this radical encounter with God. and And there were these birthings, there was these stirrings, there was these there was these winds of God that had already begun to take place in America. But a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards was uh, was a reformer and. He had a passion for the Word of God, and he loved Jesus with all of his heart. And he preached to a small group of people, and one day, God's Spirit came in power in his church. It just happened one day he was preaching, and God's Spirit came in power. And as God's Spirit came in power, people started really repenting of their sins. And then it went outside of that church building, and then it went out into the community. This is an early America. This is an early colonial America, but things begin to happen in radical ways. John Wesley would come to America, and he wasn't in. He was just a religious person. He was trying to do good and trying to be good, but he never encountered Christ. And one day he met some people. They're called Moravians. They were Catholic monks, and they had a passion with Jesus. They had, they had encountered Christ. They, they knew the Lord. They had a deep relationship with Him. And one day, he met these people on a boat coming over to Americas. And, and when he met these people, he realized that their faith was genuine. It was real. It was powerful. And they, he wanted that. And he just simply said, God, whatever they have, I want. And he prayed a prayer. And Christ came into his life and changed him. And he was a man who shaped Christian history because it was under his ministry that awakening and awakening, a great awakening in America that literally shaped the way that the church does church even to this very generation. Because he had an understanding that people had to be discipled. He would preach and he would just go out into the fields because he got kicked out of all the churches in America. They wouldn't let him preach anymore because every time he preached, things happened that were weird. People would fall down on the ground and strange manifestations and people would scream out under the conviction of sin. And and so he would stand outside and he would preach to the multitudes. 10,000, 20,000 people would come. There are historical accounts that while he was preaching people would fall down on their face before God and cry out and repent and realize that they needed a Savior. There was something traumatic happening. And and he realized, though, it wasn't enough for them to have this touch. It wasn't enough for them to have this experience. They had to have something more. They had to have something more. And I begin to read about these stories. And a man by the name of uh, of Charles Finney, who lived in the 1800s in America, and he traveled up and down the eastern shoreboard, and, and he would preach the gospel, and he would call people to change, and, and people would come. There's actually, an, there's actually an account one time when he was going into Atlantic, New Jersey, Atlantic City, New Jersey, and he was on the boat in the harbor. He was on the boat in the harbor, and God's Spirit began to descend and move while he was on the boat. And when he got off the boat, people were standing on the seaboard and they were calling out to God. Hardened sinners, drunkards, prostitutes, people that were broken and needy. There was a spirit of conviction came. And when he began to preach in the church houses, they would fill up and people would fall on their face before God, realizing that they needed a Savior. 
I'd read about these encounters, and, and I wasn't seeing that kind of change. I wasn't seeing that kind of change in my life. I wasn't seeing that kind of change in other people's lives. And I realized I needed something more. I began to seek the Lord in fasting. I, I fasted a lot. Now, I still fast, but I mean, as a young person, I fasted all the time because I was so hungry for a move of God. I didn't know what it looked like. I just wrote about it. I, I talked to everybody I could talk to. I talked to everybody that I could talk to that had ever been in any kind of move of God. I, I went to a Bible college where they had, had a great move of God in the 40s. And I would talk to the leaders and want to know more about it. And I'd want to hear what did God do and how he did it. I, I don't want to just hear about what God did in another generation. I want to experience it in my generation. I want, I want to experience. I don't want to just hear what the old timers have to say. I want to know what God has to say, what God has to say for my generation. What does God want to do today? In 1993, we left the inner city and we found ourselves in a local church. And, and I was passionate for God. I really wanted to see God do something in that church. I wanted to see God do something in that church. And, and, and I was on staff and I was hungry for God. And, you know, I was trying to work all the details. I felt this call to start a church, but I submitted myself and I went on staff of this local church. And while I was on staff at this church, we be, I began to fast. I began to fast for revival. I began to fast for moves of God, move of God in my life in this church. And, and I, be, I just had a stirring in my heart for this. I was really hungry for God to do something that would awaken this church, that it would awaken this church and its people. But I, I wasn't the only one because this stirring was taking place all over the world. This same stirring was taking. There were already reports coming out of Colombia where mass moves of God, mass encounters of God. There were already reports in Argentina of the Spirit of God moving in powerful ways where literally hundreds of thousands of people were filling stadiums and worshiping Jesus and repenting of their sins. There were already, there were already inklings around the world and something stoked inside of me. And, and I had a friend who went. Who had a friend? I had a friend who's friend, close friend. Now my circle of friends are all pastors now. So I have a pastor friend who had a very close friend, who had this, had had this encounter with Christ and it radically changed him, and it changed his ministry. And he was at this church and he was preaching and he preached on Father's Day, 1993 and 1994. And, and as he preached, heaven came down in that church. He preached. Heaven came down in that church, and men began to become aware that they needed God, and they began to repent. And it was a good-sized church, you know. It was about 1,500 people maybe, but God blew up in that church. God blew conviction into that church, and men began to get right with God, and men began to confess their sins. And it sparked something. It sparked an awakening in America. It sparked an awakening literally around that a shot that was heard around the world, and people were hungry. People begin to make a trek to Florida, Pensacola, Florida. I don't talk about this much because really it's ancient of days now. And, and I, although I, I share with you tonight, I, I don't want just what God did yesterday. I want something fresh. I want fresh manna. I want fresh bread from heaven. I want God to do something in your life because what I had yesterday isn't good enough. It won't sustain me. It won't keep me. It won't help me live victoriously in my life today. I need something new. I need a new thing. Everyone say new thing. But I, I found myself in this great hunger for God. And I was actually sitting in a, in a staff meeting. And our pastor had just come back from a church service where he had encountered God. The Sunday night before our pastor, he had left and he went to this other church service. And he left me in charge of the service. And we brought a, a, a revivalist, an evangelist in. And this evangelist preached. And 
began to change. Something began that night. I could just you could sense it. It was in the atmosphere. The presence of God was very, very real. It was tangible. I mean, it wasn't manufactured. It wasn't us trying to work it up. It was very tangible. It was very real. And God began to move and God began to stir and and I could just sense it. And when our pastor came back, you know, we wanted to tell him what happened. He said, Well, I gotta tell you what happened to me. And he began to share what God did in his life. And he said, Just let me pray for you. There were about twelve or thirteen of us in this circle in our staff meeting and and he said, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for each one of you. So we all bowed our heads, you know. And, and honestly, up to this point, our church, it was really boring. I, I mean, I'd go to church, and I was on staff, and I would try to be excited, and I'd try to be fired up, but church was really boring. I'd go Sunday night, and I dreaded if there was any way I could get out. I mean, I went to Sunday night because we had Sunday night, but I didn't really want to go to Sunday night. It was really, really boring. Everyone say boring. Don't get bored yet. Hang on. We're going to get to this. Hang on. It was really boring. It was boring. And our pastor prayed. And as he prayed over me, he just said, I was, I was the very first person he prayed for as he prayed for me. I was sitting in the chair. And the moment he mentioned my name, God's power came. Bam! Like a lightning bolt. And I mean, literally, bam! And I'm not sharing this to glorify myself. I'm just telling you what happened. just reporting what God did. And bam! I mean, literally, it was like that. I was on the floor. And I am repenting. I'm like calling out to God. Every sin that I could think of, every wrong word, every wrong thought, every wrong attitude. I'm like, oh God, I'm like repenting. I'm calling out to God. And and then he prayed for the next guy. Bam. And the next person. Bam. And the next thing you know, the whole women, men were all sprawled out. Some of the, the secretaries, they're laying out on the floor out there in the, in the in the hallway there. I mean, it's just God just wrecked everybody. The place is a mess. And for four hours, four hours, we are calling on God. For four hours, we were repenting and said, Oh, God, we need you to do something in our lives. We need you to do something in our church. God, we need you. And I, I don't even know all the things. I'm just telling you, it was an amazing experience. It was the beginning of what God would do in that church. And for the next year and a half, there was a mighty visitation of God's Spirit. I mean, it was a mighty visitation. We had a 30-day move of God. where In those 30 days, there were so many miracles. There were so many healings. I, I, I remember... This one particular healing, it was so it was notable to me. Everyone say notable. Signs and wonders are notable because they're unexplainable. And there were lots of healings and lots of miracles and lots of incredible things. But this one, because it was such a visible demonstration of the grace of God's healing in that move. But, but this one woman, she came and she was wearing gloves, these white gloves. I still remember them. They were like white cotton gloves because she couldn't have anything else on her hands. She couldn't even open her hands. And she had this like eczema, you know, the eczema, eczema, right? Eczema, yeah. She had this eczema on her hands. And it was so bad that her hands were just, it was pussy. I mean, they would bleed. If she opened them like that, they would just crack. And white scaly, her hands were just so bad. And I remember we were, we, were, we had a service. We, we, for 30 days, we, we met at 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't know how we did this. We met at 10 o'clock in the morning. We'd go at about 1 or 2 whenever God got done. And then we'd come back for prayer at 5.30. And the service would start at 7, and we'd go until, you know, who knows? I mean, we'd go for a long time. And, but this one morning, this woman came. And I remember the, this guy standing up on top of a chair taking a picture because she took off her gloves. She took off her gloves. And, she, and this particular evangelist said, he said, oh, uh, he says, Sue, I'm taking this picture because by the, time, by the time you leave this place, by the time, by the time you leave this place, your hand's going to be completely healed. Now, that takes faith to say that. You know that? That takes faith to say that. I'm like, okay, we'll see. (laughs) 
You know, he's got great faith. I'm glad he's got that kind of faith, you know. And we prayed about probably four days, four days into this, four days into it. Four days she comes. She's not wearing gloves. And her hands are as smooth as baby hands. Totally healed by the power of God. It did something in our church. It did something in my life. I, I never was the same after that. The things that I've been seeking for, I, I saw. I saw miracles. I saw gangsters coming to the church, literally. I saw one young man. He was head of a gang. as an Asian gang in our community. He had been shot at, and he was rough and, and rumbly and tough. And, and, and he was angry, and he came in, and he encountered God. He was radically transformed and changed. He actually moved from Seattle to Washington within the first six months to help us start this church. His name was Joe Marquino. Never forget what God did in Jomer's life. I saw so many like this, so many things. They were beyond explanation. I saw little children have visitations from God, God's Spirit. I remember this one little girl in particular. It was a, I don't even know what night it was, but I remember God came. The Spirit of God was there so heavy and so intense. She was literally stuck to the floor. I remember her parents had come over to try to pick her up, to try to move her, and they couldn't move her because she was like, it was like somebody took super glue to her back and she was just stuck. I don't understand all that. Everyone say, that's a sign. That's a wonder. Because it makes you wonder, why does God do that? Something very sad happened. Something very sad happened. It was out of that revival that... God really spoke to me clearly. I'd already known, I'd already knew that we were going to start another church, but it was out of that move, and it lasted for about a year and a half in our church. About a year and a half, and, and let me tell you, church wasn't born any longer. I mean, it was front row, baby. You had to like they were fighting to get to the front row, Pastor Glenn. It wasn't like Sunday morning here where everybody's shooting for the back row. I mean, it was front I mean, front row. I mean, ladies fighting. You ain't taking my seat. I mean, they were front row. People wanted, you know why? Because they were desperate. They were hungry for the presence of God. They wanted it. It was just one of those seasons. It was amazing. And it was out of that that City Church became a reality because God began to speak to me. God began to speak to me. We left there in 1998. And for the next year and a half, this is probably 95, 96. 97, it was kind of started to wane. It was still good. The services were good. Sunday nights, we'd have people come from all over the area in Seattle to come to our Sunday night service. And it was packed. The place would be packed. And worship would be sweet. We'd just worship. We would just worship and worship. The presence of God was so real. So real. I saw God do so many things. In 1998, we started this church. And about a year after we left, about a year after we left, that church blew up. It blew up in a bad way. See, there was a move of God's Spirit, but there were some things that were never dealt with. There were some attitudes that had never been changed. There was some unforgiveness that had never been worked through. Yes, it was powerful. Yes, it was mighty. But it didn't sustain. It didn't last. Now, God's merciful and God's gracious and God's kind and the people that were all involved in this terrible, terrible thing that took place in this church have been reconciled, sort of. But their relationship has never been the same. They tasted of the goodness of God. They tasted of His presence in a way that very few people, the leadership of that church, tasted of the presence of God in a way that very few people have ever experienced. But it didn't sustain. And I said, God, if you ever move like that in my life again, I don't want it to blow up and blow out. 
I want to see a sustained move of God. I want to see something that's lasting. See, it's not the beginning of a matter, but it's the how the, the matter ends. It's the end of a matter. It's not how you start your Christian journey, but it's how you finish your Christian journey. See, you can have a Holy Ghost moment. We can run around the building. I can get you all worked up, and we can shout, and we can preach, and man, we can skid our praise on. But the fact is, tomorrow morning, you've got to deal with reality. You gotta, you gotta walk straight. You gotta love people. You gotta forgive people. You gotta, you gotta trust people. You gotta, you know, you gotta say right words. You gotta live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So it's not just the Spirit, although it is the Spirit of God that bursts something in your heart that it literally propels you into a new dimension of God, a new understanding where you do read the Word. And as you begin to open the Word, it becomes more real to you. And there's a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And you begin to see Jesus for who He really is. And you see Him in the pages of the Bible. And you see Him working in your life in new ways. We're people of the Spirit, but we're people of truth have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. I want to introduce you to the real Jesus. I want to introduce you to the real Jesus. You see, the Jesus, the Jesus, the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that I serve and you serve, He did mighty miracles. The Bible says that everywhere that He went, He did good and He healed. Everywhere He went, Chet, He did miracles. He did signs and wonders. He did phenomenal miracles. He got the attention of the people. He was on a mission from heaven. He was on a mission from heaven to declare the good news. You see, for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, literally, people knew how to be religious. People knew how to to be religious. They had a form of godliness, but they denied His power. As a matter of fact, for over 400 years, there had been no word from God. It had just been formed. It had just been tradition. It had just been going to church and doing the same thing that we'd always done. And wham! Exploding upon the scene is this man from Galilee, and his name is Jesus. When he was born, the angel said to the woman and to Joseph, her name was Mary, her husband was Joseph, and they said, how is this possible? How is it possible for a young girl to become impregnated, not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit? And the angel of the Lord said to them, he said, with with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus entered into the world in time of of human history, and the world has never been the same. The world has never been the same. You're here tonight because Jesus entered human history 2,000 years ago. Jesus was on a mission. And the way that he introduced this mission, the the passageway, the, the thing that gave him credence and credo, the thing that enabled him to boldly proclaim it and tell men to repent, the real Jesus, not the milky, wimpy, little flannel graphic board Jesus, white, pasty Jesus, meek and mild. I'm not talking about the white, little, meek and mild, pasty Jesus. I'm talking about real Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus that would look at a man whose heart was corrupt and evil, but he had all kinds of form. He'd say, you whitewashed sepulcher. I mean, listen, he forgot to read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. 
you whitewashed sepulcher, you brood of vipers, you snake in the grass. Go tell that old fox Herod, he's a snake. I mean, the real Jesus. They called people to radical change, especially people who thought they had it together. People that had a form of religion. He was on a mission, and his mission was to the poor. His mission was to the broken. His mission was to the needy. His mission was to the hurting. His mission was to the downcast. His mission was to the broken. His mission were to those who, who knew they needed a Savior, and he came to save them from their sins. He had a mission. And the mission was to announce the good news. Jesus. Jesus is king. He had a message. Good news. There is a way to salvation. There's a way to a changed life. Oh, he said it like this. I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I've come to give you life. This is the Jesus I want to introduce you to. See, he did miracles. He had an incredible ministry. Thousands of people would follow him everywhere he went. I mean, multitudes of people. Every, I mean, you read over and over in the Bible, and it says the multitudes, and the multitudes, and the multitudes. And they're always clamoring. They always wanted something from him. Jesus, Jesus knew the beeper story. He still gets the beeper story. He's the beeper Jesus. A lot of you got a little, a lot of, little beeper in your hand. You just beat Jesus. Jesus wants you to do something. Just, and you just beat Jesus. Want Jesus to come and do it for you. You see, Jesus, Jesus came with a mission, and that was to empower you for service. See, every move of God, it has to get off center. There has to be something that presses us and pushes us over into the next realm, into the next level. But, but it's the works that he's created for, the purpose that he's, the, the works that he's created us for is the reason why he empowers us and shows himself great and mighty in our life. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, I want you just to see a few verses here. The Bible says, Jesus said to the disciples. If you read the previous chapter in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking to a bunch of bad guys. And he's telling them about the fires of hell. He's talking, I mean, listen, Jesus, I mean, this kind of gospel, this kind of message where, you know, and listen, man, I'm a good gospel preacher. I'm a faith gospel preacher. I love the good news. I want a happy Jesus. And I want you to be happy in God. But you never can get happy until you get your life right. Come on. You're never going to get happy until you get your life right. And then Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Here's the deal tonight. One trans RSV translation says, things that cause people to sin. Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. They're bound to come. The word there, cause to sin or cause to stumble, in the Greek is skatalonin. And, and the word skatalonin literally means to set a trap. It's like setting a trap for a little animal, like a little bird or some kind of little animal. You know, they get you know you see kind of those old things. They got the stick set up and they got the bait inside, and the animal goes in. And when it gets a hold, it tries to pull it off. It drops the box on top of it. Well, that's exactly that what this word means. The word there, sin, means to set a trap. To set a trap. And when sin enters into your life, Satan has set a trap. And it's like that, it's like that box over that little animal. There's no way to get out. That's why you needed a Savior. 
That's why you needed Jesus to change your life and to change your heart. Jesus said, listen, things that cause people to stumble or sin are bound to come. But woe. Everyone say woe. Woe to those through whom they come. Woe. Everyone say woe. Whoa. Fact is, sin comes into our world. There's a consequence to pay for sin. There's a consequence for living in rebellion to God. There's a consequence to living life your own way. There's a guy by the name of Lance Armstrong, pretty popular guy. Seven Tour de France's, really well known, on top of the world, worth over $100 million. He knows the consequence of sin. There's a payday someday. You know, he lived for a long time. I mean, he won the Tour de France in 1999. He won seven Tour de France's. Listen, there, there were people who knew that he was guilty. But he'd shut them down. He'd shut them down. He'd sue them. He did all these kinds of things to keep, you know, to keep that image up. But there's a payday someday. See, the consequence of a sin didn't just affect him. It affected everyone else around him. I want to just speak to you just for a moment here, because here's the reality. Here's a fact today. Here's a fact today. Parents, your kids are watching you. Your kids are watching you. Your kids watch everything you do, everything you say. Whether I like it or not, my kids are a reflection of my life, the way they think, the way they speak. Now, you know, they're responsible. They're 22 and 17, and they're responsible for their own actions. But I tell you what, the way you live as a parent, the way you act as a parent, your kids see. But not just parents, young people, young people. The fact is, is that every person here has someone watching you. Every person here has someone watching you. See, we desire to live free. Everyone say live free. But our freedom doesn't give us a license to sin. Our freedom doesn't give us a license just to do whatever we want to do. And here's the deal, guys. Jesus addresses four things in the life of a disciple. Really quick, the first thing that Jesus addresses is sin. Everyone say sin. If you're going to have a sustained move of God in your life, if you're going to finish strong, if you're going to finish strong, you've got to deal with the sin in your life. Listen, you have to deal with it, every one of us. Now, this thing is a continual progressive love affair. Everyone say progressive love affair. But it's also a continual progressive warfare. It's both. See, we, we haven't got this all figured out. I'm 29 years in the way now, and i got to tell you, I'm still fighting the good fight of faith. I still have to say no to the flesh. Television commercial comes on, just like Pastor Glenn says, you're channel cruising, and there's something catches your eye. And if you're a guy, catches your eye. I have to still say no to my flesh to keep moving on. I mean, it doesn't change. See, there is a human nature within you. Paul the Apostle talked about the sinful nature. And he said, listen, this sinful nature is so bad. The things that I don't want to do, the things I end up doing. But, but there is a life in the Spirit of God. He immediately goes right into the Spirit that's available to us that leads us into victory. He said, listen, guys, I mean, I don't care north, south, east, west, up, down, sideways. I want you to know today that God has made you to be more than conquerors. God has made you to be victorious. So we got to deal with the sin in our life. we got to deal with it. The second thing I want you to see tonight. Jesus said, woe to them through whom they come. 
Woe to him through who they come. It would be better for a millstone, for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck to cause one of the little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Watch yourself. I mean, personal responsibility for your own life. I mean, I, used, I played the victim card. I played the victim card. It, you know, it's all my dad's fault. All the hurt and all the pain and why I did what I did and all the brokenness of my dad. I played that victim card. You can't be a victim. You can't, you're not a victim today. You're not a victim. God didn't create you to be a victim. He created you to be a warrior. So guard your own heart. Now, I want you to see this next thing. I want you to see that. So Jesus talks about sin. And then he talks about the next great issue in a person's life, which is forgiveness. Look at verse number uh, uh Number three, so watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent. Now, some of you prophets, rebuke. Oh, I can't wait to rebuke you in Jesus' name. All right, so here's the deal. We're our brother's keeper. We're a family. It's why you need to be part of a local church. We're a family. We keep one another accountable. If your brother or sister sins against you, here's the deal. They've got to sin. Now, they got to, Bill, sometimes people are just easily agitated. You know, they call it a holy irritation. Some people just have, a, they have the gift of holy irritation. And so they're easily offended. And they're easily hurt. And listen, if you're easily hurt and easily offended, you're immature. You're immature. You have to grow up. And one of the ways, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is a person's ability not to be offended. But if someone does something against you, you're to rebuke the word. The concept of rebuke there is just to to set it in order. I mean, to get it out in the open. To make it right. In other words, you want... You ever you have a relationship with someone that you know, and when you talk to them, you can just kind of like it's hard to talk to them because there's this wall there. You ever have you have a relationship like this? You want to talk to this person, but there's just like you try to talk to them, but you can hardly talk to them because you know that they have something against you and they haven't dealt with it, and and you don't even know what it is, or I mean, they have some kind of idea or concept, and you feel this, and you're trying to talk, but the words have a hard time coming out. Well, there's an offense there. There's an offense there. Jesus says, deal with it. Confront it. It's not just, you know, we rebuke demons in Jesus' name, but we lovingly correct people in Jesus' name. So there's this, here's the deal. If we want to sustain move of God in our life, we have to deal with relationship issues. We've got to deal with relationship issues, and we've got to deal with it quickly. You can't let things go. What happened at the church that we left in Seattle, what happened was that there were relationship issues that never got dealt with. They never got dealt with. There were hurts. There were offenses. There were things that were said. There were, you know, things that were said from the pulpit, from the pastor that offended a particular staff person. And that led over a long period of time to a blow up to one day six staff people walked out the church doors. You know why? Because they didn't deal with things correctly. There was unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is one of the greatest traps in the enemy of your life. Unforgiveness. Bitterness of soul. Some people are completely clear here. Some people have nothing against anyone. But I can tell you, I can tell you my experience in the church, my experience is that there's a whole lot of unforgiveness that people carry around. There's a whole lot of hurt. I mean, it comes out of my office. It comes out on the telephone when I'm talking to people. 
It's a lot of hurt, a lot of unforgiveness. Oh, listen, people. And you know what happens is if you have something against somebody, they're just for sure going to do something to tick you off again. <laughs> it's just God's just going to make sure that they do something again just to tick you off again because God wants you to deal with that. He's so merciful and he's so kind. And Jesus says, deal with it. Confront this individual. And then he does something that's impossible. He does something that's impossible. He says, listen, you've got to deal with forgiveness. He says then, then even if they sin against you seven times, the word seven there is the word for completion. And it literally means perfection. Seven means perfection or completion in the Jewish writings. It, it literally means to make something complete. If they sin against you seven times, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, if they forgive you seven times, seventy and they come back to you. They do you wrong again. You say, I forgive you. I forgive you. In other words, you walk in a spirit of forgiveness. You're quick to forgive people. You don't hold on to offenses. You don't hold on to wrongs. You want to finish strong in your life? You want to finish strong? You want to Listen, we're looking to build mature disciples. We want the spirit. We want the power. We want the miracles. We want the healings. We want the mighty deliverances. We want to grow up as believers into mighty people of God. This awakening, this next four days, I believe God, I believe the next three days, now there is something supernatural that God is going to do in our church. And it's going to blow up. It's going to just touch us in ways, if we're open and we're ready for it, it's going to, it's going to exceed our expectations because God always exceeds expectations but you got to walk in forgiveness and that's impossible without God it requires it requires something superior it requires faith I want you to see what Jesus said here and the apostles said to the Lord increase our faith everyone say increase my faith say that with me increase my faith that's the problem you want more faith you don't need more faith. You just need to exercise the faith that you got. You just need to exercise. We want more faith. Yeah, we want more faith. But Jesus, Jesus, okay, increase our faith. Jesus said, you don't need a lot of faith. You just need a little tiny mustard seed. That's all you need. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes enough faith. Increase our faith. Jesus said, next verse, if you had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry, or this mulberry tree, you would say to this mulberry tree, be thou removed. Be removed. Cast the seed. Cast the mulberry tree away. See, it doesn't take faith to dig a mulberry tree up. Christina can go and get a shovel, and she can dig the mulberry tree out of her yard. But what it does take faith to do is to cast that mulberry seed into the, in that mulberry tree into the sea. That's what takes faith. So it takes faith to forgive people who have really hurt you. It takes faith to believe God is able to do the impossible in your life. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is kind of the hallmark of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. I'm going to give you the ABCs. Faith is the substance of things Hope for. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. I am not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear, but I am moved by every word that comes from the book of God. That's faith. That requires faith. When I can't see it, but I still believe it, I can't see Jesus. 
I can't see. I mean, that's a, that's the argument of the skeptics and the agnostics and the atheists. That how can you believe in a God that you can't see? You can't prove it. You can't prove it that I I I don't know God. You, I mean, as much as we supposedly can't prove that there is a God, although the creation declares the glory and the goodness of God, even the very creation itself declares that there's a God. But listen, you can't prove that there isn't a God. You can't prove that there isn't a God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Every man, every woman. What I reason I love the Bible, the reason I love reading the Bible about the about the men and women of old is that they were just like you and I. They didn't have this thing all figured out, but they had faith. They had faith. They were willing. This faith. It was the word faith is literally uh, means a confidence, Tom. It means a, a confidence, uh, a confidence in something beyond yourself. A confidence that's a firm conviction. I have a firm conviction that God wants to deliver people from drugs. I have a firm, because I've experienced it, I know it. I have a firm conviction that God wants to deliver people from lust. I know it because I've experienced it. I have a firm conviction that God wants to restore marriages because I've seen God do it in my own family. I have a firm conviction that God wants to save the backslider because I've seen God do it. I have a firm conviction that God wants to heal physical bodies because I've seen Him do it. But listen, even if I didn't see Him do it, I still believe. So when we pray for people, when we lay hands on the people, you're not the healer, Brittany. You're not the healer. You don't have to heal anybody. Robert, you're not the healer. You don't have to heal anybody. All you have to do is simply believe. You don't have to get emotional. You don't have to have a shunday and a shout. You don't have to run around the stage and get your preach on and get your shout on and shunday and spit and beeper, beeper, your pastor coming. We're going to have a Holy Ghost rally to see this happen. All you have to do is have faith. Faith. Faith in a living God. Faith in a mighty God. It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. Jesus. All you've got to have is a little bit of faith. Small as a mustard seed. And the fourth thing that Jesus says, this is how you sustain your life. First of all, you build your life with the recognition that you're, you're accountable. You're accountable for the way you live. You're accountable for the way that you live. You're accountable for your words. You're accountable for your actions. Stay away from sin. Stay away from sin. Run from sin. Don't meddle with it. Don't mingle. Don't hang out with it. Don't make it your friend. Don't play with it. Don't toy with it. Don't dabble with it on the internet. Don't you know? Don't don't do that. Don't do. Don't go there. Deal with the sin in your life. Deal with the sin. The second thing that Jesus said. You gotta forgive. You gotta live in forgiveness. I mean, it's just listen. This is where this is how I know that God is doing something. When people start to forgive other people, and there's a spirit of forgiveness and repentance towards others. That's how you know there's an awakening, a brewing. We need it in our city. There's so much hurt. There's so much unforgiveness. We live in a multicultural community. We live in a. Our church is a multicultural church. I love our church. I love what God is doing here. I love it. But our community is divided right now. There's great division in our community. There's a lot of unforgiveness. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of things that have taken place over the generations in the city of Sanford that have caused a lot of people, especially people that have been around for a while, 
The problem with bitterness and unforgiveness is that you pass it on to the next generation. You pass it on to the next generation. There's a lot of hurt. But the fourth thing that God, the fourth thing that Jesus told his disciples, if you want to sustain this, if you want to move in this awakening, is you have service. Man went out into the field and he did his job and he came back. A man went out and he went out to the field and he did his job and he came back and the master said to him, go and get me something to eat. Should the master have thanked him for what he did? See, we do what we do not because we get thanked, not because the pastor, and listen, we're good thank you people here. We are, we are grateful. We are thankful. But listen, at the end of the day, you're going to be, you're going to stand before God for what you do. And if you treat your ministry, you treat your service in a local church, if you just treat it haphazard and you show up when you want and you don't, you know, listen, if you serve the Lord in his house like you would work in your job for money, if every person did that, if that was the heart, wow, that's how you know real awakening happens. See, Jesus said, listen, you're not going to get a pat on the back necessarily in this life. Because the fact is, when you've done all that you can do, we say that we're unworthy servants. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven is always marked by servanthood. See, God empowers. God gives miracles. God pours out His Spirit. Acts chapter 1, they were repenting. Acts chapter 1, they were waiting. Acts chapter 2, they were seeking. They're in an upper room, and they're calling on God, and they're in one accord, and they're seeking the Lord, and then the Spirit comes with power. See, Jesus said, I'll give you power on fire to be my witness, be my servant in my house. God's called you to serve in your generation. You can be 10 years old, 12 years old, 30 years old, 50 years old, 80 years old. God has work for you to do. One of my favorite people in this whole church is Wilhelmina Means. Because Wilhelmina knows what it means. Wilhelmina Means Wilson. Excuse me. Because Wilhelmina knows what it means to serve in the house of God. And at the age, I don't even want to say her age, but whatever age she is, she knows, she still knows that God wants to change her life. She still knows that she needs more of the Lord. She still knows that she has a mission and a work to do. And she gets these prayer requests. And we're getting reports back from people. Hey, there's this lady named Wilhelmina. One of the guys came up to me the other day and said, Hey, this lady, Wilhelmina, she, she, she called me and she, she told me she was praying for me. And she prayed for me over the phone. We have people in our church that are calling. I mean, listen, I don't care what age you are. There's a work for you to do. God has a work for you today. And one day, one day you will hear these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. I'm preparing us. Because I want this thing to, whatever God does here, however God does this, I want to set the expectation high. Because God wants to do something incredible. Listen, we've gone around. We tried lots of things. I don't want to go back to 2012. I don't want whatever God was doing there. I thank God for it, but I'm ready for a new day. Everyone say new day. I'm ready for a new day. But you know what? I don't even want God did in 1995 in my life when He wrecked me and ruined me and threw me on the floor. And I mean, just I was a mess. I want what God has for me right now, right today. There's a fresh anointing today. It's a right now anointing. It's a right now faith. 
Now faith. Everyone say now faith. There's a now faith in the room right now. There's a now faith for the supernatural right now. There's a now faith for the miraculous, for the supernatural. There's a now faith for the moment. It's, it's not from yesterday. It's not even for today. It's a right now faith. Right now. I want you to close your eyes. Time to come. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to, it's not just to be a regular altar call, but we have anointing vials, uh, little bottles up here. And we're going to anoint every person in this room. A fresh anointing. Oil, oil, oil in Old Testament times was used to consecrate kings. It was used in a religious ceremony to consecrate priests. Aaron was a high priest. He was the first high priest. He was the brother of Aaron. And the Bible says that Moses anointed him and he poured a whole jar of oil right down on top of his head. There was an oil that went all the way down the top of his head, down his beard, all the way down to his feet. When David was a young man and they pulled him out from taking care of, of the sheep being a shepherd in the dusty hills and they brought him to his father's house and the prophet came and he took a jar of oil and he poured it over his head and he anointed him. There was an anointing. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus... Although he suffered in the flesh like we've suffered, had an anointing above his brothers. It was an anointing. An anointing just simply simply means that there was a caress of God. There was the kiss of God. There was the grace of God. Old Testament times, warriors would take this oil and they would rub it into their shield. It, it would they would make that shield pliable. They, they would they would they would smear it upon them. They would take that oil and they would smear it all over them. Smear that oil all over them. Oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. It represents the grace of God. And and I want you to know there's a grace of God that's here tonight. Listen, you've come, you sacrificed, you came on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I took pictures and I sent them to some pastor friends. I said, listen, I can't believe there are people that are here on Sunday night to worship Jesus. Amazing. It's amazing. And you're here because you want more God. You want a fresh awakening. Listen, you've heard about the stories that I've told, but it isn't good enough. God wants to do it today. God wants to do it tonight. God wants to pour out His Spirit, just like He did in the upper room. And I believe that when the Spirit comes with power, there will be great conviction. There will be a great sensitivity and realization that we're sinners in need of a Savior. There will be a great desire to press in to the kingdom of heaven and to forgive and to operate in new levels of faith in our areas of ministry. Listen, you were called to ministry. You're called to serve the king. You're called to serve the king of kings. And you need a fresh anointing. You need an anointing from heaven in your life. And you're here tonight. And you know that. You're here tonight. What I'm going to have you do in just a moment. The worship team. I need just a couple. How many we got tonight? Maybe just Tom. Let's just start off with just Tom tonight. Because I want to anoint the worship team. The first people. Tonight, what I want you to do, you want this fresh anointing. You're ready for an awakening in your life. Can you just lift your hand right now? Come on, just lift your hand. You're ready for an awakening in your life? Come on, you're ready. Ooh, all across this room. So, so I, want, I, want, I want everyone to stand right now, but I want the worship team. I want those that were in that prayer meeting. I want you to come first. Pastor Glenn, I need you to help me. Miss Laura, I need you to come up here and help me. 
I want that worship team to come first because, ooh, come on, the worship team is going to lead us into the presence of God. Like Jehoshaphat's army of, army of old, we're going to give praise unto God. We're going to anoint. We're going to anoint worship. I want you to lift your hands towards heaven. Pastor Glenn, I believe that when you lay hands upon people tonight, there is going, listen, I believe this. I know this. There is an impartation. Everyone say impartation. There's an impartation of faith. Pastor Glenn, Pastor Laura, Christina, when they lay their hands, when they anoint with oil, there's going to be an impartation of God's Spirit. It's just, it's going to be the beginning, but there's an impartation of God's Spirit that's going to come. So right now, I want you to release. Come on, church, I want you to begin to pray for these that are up here. We're going to anoint every person in the room in just a moment. But I want you, come on, just begin to anoint the worship team. Just begin to anoint the worship team. Come on, take the oil. Just begin to anoint them right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. Hallelujah. Oh, God, almighty. Hallelujah. Fresh anointing. Fresh anointing. Fresh anointing. Holy. Hallelujah. Holy. Hallelujah. Oh, God, almighty. More, 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 more. There's only I want the worship team to come on the platform right now. I want you tonight, you want to be anointed with oil. I want you to step out into the aisles. We're going to make lines. Both aisles, right? I want you to step out. I want you to make a line. You can go too deep. Come on, come. We're going to go too I just want you to line up. Just stand in the aisle right now. Just stand at the head of the aisle. I need some ushers to help me. I want you guys to line up all the way down the aisle, all the way around the building. I want you to line up by twos. If you're with your spouse, I want you to be standing next to your spouse. I want us to line up by twos. Tonight, 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 God's Spirit is here to pour out upon you. When you come by this line, each person in the line is going to anoint you. Each person in this line is going to lay hands upon you. you got to come up here next to your husband. You get, you get anointed first. You get, you get anointed, then you stand up here, right? Listen. We're going to anoint you. Now each person is going to go. I don't know how we're going to do this. It's going to go this way, and you guys are going to go this way, and it's going to be a big mess, but we're going to make it. Maybe we can just push these chairs back a little bit. Can we just do that, Pastor Glenn? Let's just push these chairs back. Let's just push the chairs back. What's that? Well, they're just going to walk through. They're going to pass through. Every person. Because you're going to lay hands. Because, Christina, you have a different anointing. Lord has an anointing for getting things done. Natalie's got a Natalie's got an anointing for healing. Natalie has an anointing. She doesn't know it yet. She hasn't operated in a full dimension of it, but she's got an anointing. She's a pharmacist. She, 
prescribes medications, she fills prescriptions that doctors have given. Because that's a desire that God put in her to bring healing into people's lives. It's not just going to be natural. It's not just going to be, in the name of Jesus right now, it's not just going to be natural healing, but it's going to be supernatural. And I declare over Natalie right now a supernatural impartation of God's healing power. I declare right now by faith in Jesus' name, release the gift. Paul, Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that was given you on the laying upon hands. And I declare tonight by faith, Paul wanted to impart a spiritual gift. And I impart the gift of healing by faith in Jesus' name right now for Natalie. And I believe, I believe Jesus for you to do what only you can do. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Glenn, purity. He's got an anointing for purity and holiness. Man, you're walking through this line. Man, you're walking through this line. He's got an anointing for it. He's got a breakthrough anointing. Come on. Each one has a different anointing. They're going to anoint you. Come on, team. Get a lot of oil in your hands. Not a little bit. you got to get some oil in your hands. you got to get your hands oiled up. I want us right now. Come on. Let's just begin. To, I want the front of the line. Come on. I want you to start off. Let's go. Come on. Let's worship you. Come on. Just begin to pray. Begin to pray. Begin to pray. Begin to pray. Hallelujah. 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 I want him to go to the next one. I want you to go to the next one. The next Hallelujah. 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 Go this one. Go this one. Hallelujah. 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 Yes. Hallelujah. 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 Yes.
tonight. Come on, give God a hand clap. And you didn't even miss the Super Bowl tonight. You got something better. Come on, you got something better. Amen. A tangible, a tangible visitation of God has begun in our midst. We're going to put no limits on God. We're going to allow God to do what He wants to do. Our services on tomorrow night will go from 7 to 9 o'clock. So if you have little kids, just kind of be prepared. Maybe can you steal my mic a little bit there? Got a little bit of feedback. Seven to nine, we'll be, we'll, and we're going to try to be dismissed at eight forty-five, but we'll stay for those that want to stay. But we'll be dismissed at eight forty-five for those that must go. So you can get your kids home to school. Thank you. All right, testing. All right, good. All right, so we're going to go from seven to eight forty-five, and we're going to pray dismissal. Continue our service as we minister to the Lord. I don't know what God's going to do, but I know tomorrow the Tim is texting me. He's been seeking God. He has a word from the Lord. I believe God's going to speak prophetically to this church. See, Jehoshaphat had a had a had a man who was a Levite. He was a priest. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he began to prophesy. He began to tell them what God was going to do. He said, "And if you believe the words of the prophet." believe the words of the prophet will be successful. I believe that God has a word for this church, for this house, for this hour. God doesn't want us to go around, doesn't want us to do 2012 again. He's got a new thing in 2013 for us. So I want you to come. And the Tuesday night, Alan Griffin, I know that Alan's got to work, bring some friends, come and just bring someone tomorrow. Every night we're going to try to be done right at 845. Pray a prayer dismissal. We're going to continue to minister the altars and pray for people that want to stay. I encourage you to be here. I just I know both of these men and then our old pastor Glenn Wednesday night. This place is gonna be packed. The regular youth are gonna be here. You better get hurt really if you want a seat. But don't skip out because it's gonna be packed. We'll squeeze you in. We'll figure it out here. Amen. We'll get you up on the platform. We're gonna have revival Wednesday night. We're gonna have a move of God. We're just gonna see what the Lord does. But we're gonna go these four nights. I'm so honored. I gotta tell you again, I'm so honored that you would come tonight chose the better part. I just had that word picture. You know, there was Mary and Martha. Martha complained, and Martha said home, and Martha worried, and Martha didn't understand. But Mary, she took this very expensive oil. She took this, and she sat at the feet of Jesus. I love that she sat at the feet of Jesus. She chose the better part. God tonight is going to reward you for seeking Him. I believe that. He's going to reward your family. But here's what I know about the move of God. Here's what I know about the Holy Spirit. He's a gentleman. And you must guard this tonight. You must guard what God has done. Young people, everybody tonight, you must guard what you watch, what you see. And I'm not telling you what to do. I just, I'm telling you just to, to, how to do it, just to guard. Be careful. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Come on, just guard it. Be aware. The enemy wants just to creep in back into your life. To guard it, to protect this, protect this work of the Spirit. And it's going to grow every night. Tonight's just the beginning. Tonight's been awesome. But tonight, tomorrow night's going to be different, but it's going to be incredible. And, and uh, Tuesday night's going to be different, but it's going to be incredible. Wednesday night's going to be different, but it's going to be incredible. It's going to grow. 
There's an intensity. There's an intensity. We just begin to dabble. We just begin to taste. We just got our toes in the river. We just got our toes in God's river. In heaven, in heaven, there is a river that flows from the very throne of God. The Bible calls it the river of life, and it flows. And there's a river that's going to flow. The Spirit of God is going to flow into this church. There's a fresh river. I just sense the river of God. I'm going to invite you to come and jump in. The water's fine. It's a good thing to go with God. It's a good thing to run with the Spirit. God bless you. Greet one another tonight. Come on, give some high fives, some holy five highs. Greet one another. Bless each other tonight. Thank you.